Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. But during this season of our year, it's referred to, if you've been around church, as Advent. And we can do Advent a couple different ways, but what it is is essentially what we just talked about is it is a process or a ritual that we go through that prepare us and our minds to experience and walk in the the beautifulness of Jesus coming. And it can be kind of a little bit interesting sometimes. It can almost go in just to the realm of like history if we're not careful because it's not like we today are waiting for baby Jesus to be born. It's something that has happened. So we look back and reflect upon it. Um, But the beautiful thing of reflection is as we stop to reflect on the things of Jesus, it can and will change you today. And so as we go through Advent, we said as a church, we're going to look at just this idea of peace. Probably a good thing to look at in today's day and age in the world around us. And Pastor Craig kicked it off last week looking at peace. And peace can be something that may seem impossible. It's more like one of those things you write in the wall like, love lives here. And right underneath it's like the dent where the last dinner plate that flew at dinner time hit the wall. Right? Like one of those things in the house that no one else grew up in Courtney. Okay, cool. Um, but this idea can be, seem so idealistic. Pastor Craig talked about this idea it's possible because that's who Jesus is. And Isaiah 9, 6, we read one of the verses today. It looks at how it's possible is because peace is his person and his kingdom. We serve a God who doesn't just offer peace, who isn't just peaceful. It's part of who he is. And we see this in Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, if you want to go there. It is Isaiah 9, 6 to 7 says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It speaks to his kingdom. It speaks to his character. And verse 7, of the greatness of his government, his rule, and peace, there will be no end. That this both speaks prophetically to Jesus this is at a day and age, again, Pastor Craig talked about in Israel. There's going to Isaiah, he's prophesying where there's war, there's turmoil, they're in captivity, and the people of God had turned their back on God. They didn't want anything to go. Anything but peace is happening. And Isaiah is prophesying to a time where Jesus would come, but simultaneously is also prophesying to a peace and a government where there's no end at all, prophesying further to the end times where Jesus comes again and sets up a new heaven and a new earth. So we see that in this, there's multiple different times and, and, and time spans and stamps that we're looking at here. But as we looked at last week, Isaiah's prophesying a time where there is no peace, but there is this promise of peace because Jesus was on the way. We look at Prince of Peace. This king, his name is peace. It is part of his nature. The same way if I were to run into that wall, I encounter concrete. When you encounter Jesus, you cannot help but encounter peace. We need to understand this about Jesus. When we say that God is love, it's not just that he does loving things. It's that he lacks the ability ever to do anything outside of love because that's part of who he is. 
In the same way that God is love, God is justice. And in our limited mind, we see, oh, he's, is, he, is he acting justly or acting lovingly? Yes. Because that's who he is. In the same way, it says that he is the prince of peace. This describes who he is. This is his name. This is his identity. Friends, you need to know if you are in the midst of turmoil, you don't need to have conflict stop for you to experience peace. You just need Jesus because it's who he is. Not only is he peace, it's good news. It says the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Old Testament terms are saying this is, if he is the prince of peace, he is royalty, and what do kings have? They have a kingdom. And it says, because Jesus is peace, the culture of his kingdom is meant to also be peace. When we follow Jesus, we don't just serve a king of peace, we are part now of a kingdom of peace. That the way God orchestrates things, the presence that he brings, the culture of his kingdom is peace. I love this. It says this in Baker. It says, it is only in the inauguration of the new covenant that Jesus brings, that his death and resurrection on the cross brought, that lasting peace with God, and hear this, with one another, is achieved. And thus, this new covenant is called a covenant of peace. A covenant that appeases divine wrath. Jesus coming, the Prince of Peace, not only brought peace between us and God, the distance that sin brought. It brings peace because that's his nature and how he operates, but it also ushers in a kingdom of peace. And is studying this every single where I looked, whether it's the Hebrew word in shalom or the Greek words for peace or peaceful or peacemakers, as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. There is this connection every single where that this type of peace was not just peace between God and man, but it was also meant to affect peace between man and man. That if we serve the king of peace, we are now called, if we are in Christ, for those who follow Jesus, we are now called to be people of peace. And if we are in his kingdom, the culture we carry and the presence we bring is meant to be one of peace. What that means is your workplace might be anything but peace, but you, if you follow Jesus and name the name of Jesus, are meant to be a person of peace, and you are meant to carry a presence of peace. That you can go to any mall in the lower mainland during December. That might be part of the Ephesians 20, like more than you can ask, think, or imagine. But there is peace present in those moments. We see that Pastor Craig landed last week by saying peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of Jesus. I'd love for us throughout today's message just to imagine, for those who follow Jesus, we know we're called to go, we're called to be witnesses of the gospel, we're called to preach the good news all the time. What a better way for your life to preach the gospel than to walk through the season of Christmas in peace and with peace. What would better show people around you if you come from a family where there's backbiting and talking and this and that, but you showed up this year and you were in peace because you were connected with Jesus, you carried a presence of peace. What better way to say, well, what, what's different 
about you. I believe that that's what Jesus is calling us to. And last week, I left encouraged. I'm like, okay, great. Leaning into the person of peace and the presence of Jesus, this is great. And I actually had this thought, which should have tipped me off. It's like, I think I'm starting to get this. I feel real peaceful. Like, we got stuff coming up at Christmas. I don't feel like I'm stressed out. Like, kind of we got our routine. This is going to be fantastic. Kind of the old pat on the back. boy, Daniel. You're doing a good job. And then Monday came. Monday, uh, we picked up angels that were in the, in the lobby, and it's something we do, so I pick up one for Zoe's age, and one for Wyatt, and Plasto was with us, he was hanging out, so we're, hey, Zoe, we're going to get in the car, and in the afternoon, we're going to go to Toys R Us, we're going to buy our angels, and I also had to get Wyatt a winter jacket, because apparently we didn't have one for him yet, um, and that wasn't pink, and so... Uh, we're sitting there going there. For those of you who don't know, my daughter's about four and a half. My son's almost two in February, so whatever, however many months that is. Um, and we're, so we're sitting there going, and I remember having the conversation in the car. Hey, Zoe, dear, look at, look at me, baby. Um, we're going to about to go into a toy store, and you're not going to come away with anything. Okay? Today, we're buying for other people. This is about Christmas. We're going to be generous. She's like, kind of got it, but was like, I don't really believe you. Like, she was going to call my bluff at some point. So we go through the store, and we're looking at it. I love, I was like, the one, one gift was Disney dolls. And I was like, Zoe, which Disney doll do you want? She goes, Daddy, kids don't want dolls. Kids want treats. And I was like, you sure? No, 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 Dad. Kids don't want dolls, Dad. I had a four-year-old attitude coming at me. I'm like, what do you mean, my, my love? And she's like, I'll show you. And so she walks over to a $250 monster truck that she could fit in. I was like, that's my girl. So what I do, what every parent does, we FaceTime grandma and grandpa. Uh, and said, hey, say hi to grandma. Oh, what's behind you? That's fantastic. You know, that's good. That's good. Hey, you're the one that lives on the island still and don't want to see your grandkids. So you can move here or you could, you know, buy the gift, you know, lay on the guilt trip as heavily as I can. And it's around this time where Wyatt, he started just to fuss. It was supposed to be this great day and then he just starts losing it. And thankfully, I had Plossel. He's trying to keep him there, but he's, like, wanting to grab everything off the toy. And then in my brilliance, I'm like, Wyatt, buddy, this isn't about you. And I try and, like, you know, reason with a one-and-a-half-year-old like an absolute tool, right? Like, the workers are just like, oh, another one of these guys. <laughs> Gentle parodying. Here we go. And so it's like this conference. I'm trying to, like, connect with this, this one-and-a-half-year-old, and I'm like, he can't reason. So I'm like, oh, we're trying to figure this out, so we're good. And... and and we're having this conversation. I'm like, hey, buddy, trying to do this. So I'm trying to like, hey, it's fine. We're walking, we're walking. He doesn't want to be held. He doesn't want to be let down. He doesn't want to be in the stroller. And we just come. It was like a torrential downpour. So he's like hungry because it was lunchtime and I forgot snacks. And, and, and it's like wet. So he's like soaking wet and like a little bit irritated. And I'm just at the point where I'm like, get the dolls. And we're going to check it out because we're doing Christmas stuff. Let's go. And so we go through the checkout. I'm like, Placido, bud, can you just take him and just do a lap? And so I'll be so. So he's kind of walking with him. I can hear him, you know, throughout Toys R Us. And we're doing this. He starts really screaming. And then, like, one of the people walking by, like, gives me a look I used to give people, you know, before I had kids. Like, oh, my goodness. I watched the TikTok that you need to watch. I could teach you how to parent. Like an absolute idiot the way I used to do, right? Hey, if your kids are having a tantrum, you need to know you're a good parent. You're doing a good job. They're alive. You're winning. Take a breath. It's going to be fine. Okay? No one was there to tell me this on Monday. 
So I'm sitting there like feeling the guilt. I'm like, don't you look at me. Don't you judge me. And, and so we're doing this. I'm like, let's just, let's just go. But we still needed to get Wyatt a jacket. And I'm like, oh, this, maybe this will help. Hey, buddy, we're going to get you a jacket. Ah! I'm like, fantastic. And so we're sitting there walking, and he's doing, like, we're sitting there walking, and he wants to go left, but we went right. And then he does the, the screaming wet noodle. If you're a parent, you know what that is. <laughs> right? Well, all of a sudden, every body is liquid, and I'm holding them in the air like this, and I'm like, <laughs> don't break his hand. Don't break his hand. It's fine. It's fine. And so we get him walking again, and we go into sport check. It's the nearest place. I'm like, I'm not making it to Old Navy. We'll go into sport check, see if there's something there. There's 7,000 jackets, none for a two-year-old, right? Everything's too big. And if you've ever had a child who has a sweater that's already wet from rain and he's like spazzing, have you ever tried to put a puffy winter jacket on one of those suckers? No. And he's just like, you need his arm to be stiff to go through. But again, he's wet noodling me, right? So it's just like, I don't know what's elbow, what's wrist, what's fingers. Just trying to get the jacket on and... First one doesn't fit. I'm like, just trying to do this. And then, you know, this sweet little employee comes up and, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Anything I can help you find? And I just look over and, other than my salvation, nothing, Stacy. Thank you. We're fine. Just, just need a jacket. Trying to keep it together. And so we finally find a jacket. It fits. And he actually stops crying. And the jacket actually looks good. I'm like, Finally, I'm not a failure. This is good. And then I look down, and I catch a glimpse of what I believe to be sin, and it was the price tag <laughs> for a 2T winter jacket. He's going to wear it for three months, and I'll grow it in six, right? Like, we got two-month period. If he goes out, I'm talking maybe 10 wears. $170! Like, get that jacket off. Don't you get your snot on that. And of course, he's now attached to this jacket as if he was born with it. And up comes the wet noodle again. And he's, no! And I'm like, don't rip it. At one point, I contemplated zipping it up tight, putting the coat hanger behind him, just putting it on the rack. <laughs> walking away. Right? And so I'm like, I I'm just done. I'm not going to get a jacket. We're going. And so we get it. We get in the car, and we do this. And, and God bless Placido, who was there to help me with this, and get in there. And then I just stopped. And it just hit me. I'm like, you idiot, Daniel. Like, this was supposed to be about, like, teaching your kids about the generosity of Christmas. And you're so upset and angry at your kids for having a tantrum. You forgot you just threw your own. Felt like a failure as a dad for not handling my kids well. Felt like a failure for a father for not being able to provide a $170 jacket. Although, if I could, I still wouldn't. That's, that's on values and principle anyways. And, and just to show, Katie the next day went and found a $4 jacket at Value Village that was better, and so I just don't buy, I don't buy clothes for that reason. I'll buy shoes, that's it. Felt like a failure. We're supposed to be teaching my kids the generosity of Jesus. And, and then literally Craig's message on peace and my little pep talk I gave myself over here the next, earlier that day, or the week before, day before. Ah, I got this peace. And, and something as little as going to get a jacket can just rob us of peace. Anger, frustration, shame for feeling the way I did, embarrassed that I care so much about what people think about my kids who don't even know my kids. I know I'm the only parent in the room that goes through that. It's all good. But around this Christmas season, the idea of peace can be so simple. But the reality is 
there are enemies of peace all around us. There is an enemy of your soul that wants nothing but for you to be tied up in anxiousness and conflict. And my conflict was with a wet noodle, beautiful little boy, Wyatt, just... And again, at the end of the day, I missed his nap. I didn't feed him properly, and he was wet. So, like, fail, fail, fail. Not his fault at all. He's a really good kid. And, but I begin to realize this, and then, oh, great, I get to preach on peace now. This is fantastic. But the reality is, friends, through this season, one of the things, one of the enemies of peace will always be conflict if we're not careful. Conflict must I had this idea and he didn't want to do it, and then some other parents judging me, and 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 there can be external things that rob peace, but when it really gets tough is around a season that's meant to be close with family. And seasons like this tend to just be a magnifying glass. And they will take what is always there and just bring it into focus and, and blow it up in situations. And and I begin to wonder what does this season and conflict, and how do we remain and keep peace in these situations? And Jesus claimed to be the prince of peace, a person of peace, a kingdom of peace. And if I follow him, I'm also supposed to do that. And so this morning, I just want to look at a passage in Romans where Paul begins to teach the church and say, hey, listen, there will be enemies to your peace. But he gives us some steps that are simple but very difficult to walk through is how we can maintain being people of peace and a presence of peace even in the midst of conflict. See, Jesus talked all about peace. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said we're supposed to be peacemakers. And this was something, that is the idea that peace that Jesus had, and I think we struggle with this as well because I know his disciples did. We go back to Peter. He says, hey, I'm the prince of peace. You're going to call the peace. And he's teaching on the mount. You're meant to be peacemakers. And then Jesus arrested, and Peter cuts the guy's ear off. He's like, Peter, you're an idiot. Stop that, right? Because I think they had a different idea of peace. And it says this, the, the Greco-Roman concept of peace held various nuances, for example, there's certain literature that portrayed peace as an ideal state that some hero or warlord would achieve through war. This led to the common adage, if you wish peace, prepare for war. But on the other hand, the Stoics conceived of peace as an inward tranquility. And the New Testament concept of peace shows dependence on this understanding of peace rather than the Greco-Roman conquering. That Jesus says, listen, my kingdom is different. You think I'm coming to bring peace. And the only way to bring peace is to overthrow the Romans, kick them out by force. War is what brings peace. And Jesus says, no, I am what brings peace. This is how Jesus could handle the conflict of the garden, handle the conflict of, of being beaten, of being lied about, being abused, being crucified, yet peace did not leave because the external realities, the conflict that was around him could not touch the internal peace that the Father brought. And Paul begins to talk a little bit about this. He assumes on this. In Romans chapter 12, there's a passage where Paul says, this is what Christian living's all about. And he begins to list, like, hey, love this and do this. And, and it's an incredible passage. But then he, like, kind of, there's a, a second section of how Christians, those who are in Christ, those who have received forgiveness they could never earn, those that walk now not in their own strength, but in the power 
power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. All three of those are, are vitally important, friends. Because if you think you can just will your way into being peaceful in the midst of conflict, you're going to be about as successful as Pastor Daniel at Torchek trying to get a jacket off a wet noodle, right? Because we don't have the ability in and of ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. But Romans 12 says this. We'll read it, point out a couple points. It says, bless those who persecute you. Before you leave, we'll be over soon. Don't worry. Bless those and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, Paul, he ends with verse 18, says, hey, if, you, if you're able to do the above, as long as it's up to you, if it's all possible, you, as someone who now belongs to Christ in Christ, belong to his kingdom, a kingdom of peace, you are called to live at peace with everyone. And Paul begins to talk above this, but here's kind of outside of the world, but then he almost like turns inwards to the church. He says, hey, amongst each other, you guys are not getting this right. Amongst each other and brothers of Christ, we need to figure this out. Yes, there will be some from the outside of the body of Christ, but man, definitely as the body of Christ, we need to begin to figure this out. What I love is Paul's not teaching this, just as like, hey, this is what you guys are doing. This is fantastic. He's teaching it because people weren't doing this, which gives me a whole lot of hope. When I read stuff like this, I'm like, ah, I'm not the only one who's still messing it up. And so he says this, and this passage is like a mini summary of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching to a Jewish uh, uh, audience, and, and he expounds upon it, takes the law and how his kingdom is fulfilling it. And Paul takes those teachings, and he's speaking to Rome, and he says, hey, this is what it means to live a life that follows Jesus. And I just want to take a look. There's a couple statements that I would say are potential enemies of your peace, this Christmas season, these are things, temptations that I would have, that you would have to respond to conflict that would rob you of your peace. Because although Jesus is a person of peace, he cannot do anything outside of that, we are not Christ yet. We are being transformed and shaped into his image by the grace of God, but at any point in time, I can choose to live out of my flesh <laughs> rather than out of his transforming power. And I can be taken out of peace. I can be a person of wrath. I can be a person of vengeance. I can be a person of whatever else it is. So Paul says, hey, here's just certain things. You need to make sure by the power of the Holy Spirit, you operate this way so that verse 18 is even possible. And it starts with this. It says, bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. This word bless is eulogeo in the Greek, and it means this, is to speak well of, to wish the blessing for someone. So it's not just, oh, it's actually to speak well of them when they're in front of you and when they're not. That person that just frustrates you or wrongs you or that employee or that boss or that family member in the group chat that said that insensitive thing again and you're just wanting, you wrote out like six different responses and you deleted, or if you have never done that, 
just maybe a tip, when you say something and then those dots start and stop, start and stop, you might be that person, okay? Just, I, I had to realize someone brought that to my attention the other day that that may be me. But this situation, what does it look like to bless? And in the Greek language, it's not a suggestion. It's actually a command. Jesus, through Paul in his writing, says, hey, bless. This is a command, not just to do it once, but to do something ongoing. It is a present imperative, this word. So it means it's present and it's ongoing. Don't just bless once, but be a person that continues to speak well. Even when someone doesn't speak well of you, speak well. Even when someone is against you, speak well. Even when someone curses you, set in yourself by the power. Again, this is where I'm saying it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, because apart from that, we have no hope. So, hey, I'm going to be a person that speaks well and continues to speak well. And I believe this does two things. Not only can this really helpfully diffuse that other person, you know what it does? Oh, it diffuses your own heart. And all of a sudden, peace is possible. But man, when I have those arguments in the mirror, what I would have said. Everyone has the best comebacks in the mirror, right? They're driving in the car, and all of a sudden I hear this voice, Daddy, you okay? Oh, uh, right, yeah, yeah, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> Just me, pray for me. But when I do that, Craig talked a while ago, but when it comes to bitterness and offense, rehearsing the offense, emotionally, you go through the exact same process as if the offense just happened. So Paul says, yes, for them, but also, friends, for your own heart. Someone curses you. A person of peace blesses them. One, because that's what's right, and two, that's what's helpful for you to maintain and be a person of peace. See, because peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is the absence of hostility. You can be in conflict, but handle yourself in a way that blesses someone. And the conflict may still be there because it takes two to tango. But you are not feeding to hostility in the midst of that conflict. So my question for us today is, as a person of peace, part of a kingdom of peace, what would it look like for you to consciously find a way to bless those who curse you this season? And curse may be kind of a weird word. I'm not saying like they're flipping you off or cussing you out, but it might be a situation where they're against you or they're gossiping about you or you just feel some animosity or they're saying things that may be a bit spiteful or a little bit sharp. What would it look to say, Holy Spirit, I need your help because what I want to say is this. Lord, would you help me bless them? Bless them may not just be in words, although words are very important. Your own words, your heart. It might just be sending them a gift anonymously or not. Asking Holy Spirit, what would it look like for me to bless them? I'm telling you that will shape your heart more than anything else, and it will keep you in peace rather than in conflict. It says later, this is really interesting. It goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It almost seems a little bit out of place. Unless you know Paul's teaching, unless you're familiar with Paul's obsession with talking about the church as a body. And in Corinthians, he says, hey, listen, you guys are a body, you're one. If your foot is broken, the whole body suffers. Man, I can tell you, you may notice I'm walking with a little bit of a limp. Because apparently at 33, you can 
bruise or break your toe just by walking. And Thursday, I was at Young Adults. I was walking this way, and I went to just push off this way, and something clicked and popped, and now I'm sitting there doing this on my big toe. A, a little, like, my big toe. But that one body part has affected everything about me for the last two days. And Paul is saying, listen, he paints a picture of what it means to understand that the covenant that Jesus has called you to, you are not separate from the body of Christ. You are connected. And so to be a person of peace, when those are rejoicing, jealousy isn't part of it because when they win, you win. So you rejoice. Hey, and when they mourn, you mourn. And that's what it means to be compassionate in this situation, but it also paints a picture inside of conflict to understand. I'm not going to curse someone because when they're not doing well, when they're torn down, the body is affected. So Paul says, in the midst of conflict, don't forget that you are a person of peace and those who are part of the body are a part of your body. And if we're ever going to get to verse 18 where we can be at peace with everyone, we need to remember that anytime I choose offense rather than forgiveness, to curse rather than to bless in response, or to fixate on someone's mistake or their intentional wrongdoing against me, I not only harm myself, but I harm the body. And as a person of peace, our question for this, as a person of peace, part of the kingdom of peace, what would it look like for you to consciously rejoice this season with those who are rejoicing? To slow your pace enough to feel and to mourn with those who might be mourning. Paul goes on and he says, hey, live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud or conceited. Pride is the number one cause, I'm convinced, of hostility or offense. The reason I believe that Jesus was able to walk in humility when people questioned him, lied about him, accused him, beat him, wrongly murdered him, and he yet did all of this for them, is because his identity and his security was not within arm's reach of their accusations, but it was securely in what the Father said about him. And we go back to his baptism, beginning of his ministry, that you, this is my son, who I'm well pleased, who I beloved. And I have found in myself, pride can oftentimes mask itself as insecurity. That when you're acting proud, you are overcompensating for something. When you're conceited, it's because you feel the need to protect. So when someone wrongs me, I can't deal with the wrong. I have to respond and attack the person because them gossiping about me put who I am at risk. And if I'm insecure about that, I am going to fire back so that I can make sure my security, my self-worth, and my personhood is secure. When you feel the need to be the defender of your reputation, to be the defender of your insecurity, to be the one that writes every wrong, oh, no, no, everyone needs to know and I need to do this, you are going to be a proud and conceited person and your life is going to be full of conflict. But Jesus invites us to be liberated from being the managers and the protectors of our identity and our worth. Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians, for now those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you feel the need or you find yourself reacting to people, 
stop for a second. Say, you know what? That's not, they're saying this about me, but I, I know who God says I am, so I'm going to let that go. But, but then you're actually free. In marriage, it says most of the time the issues where there's an offense, there's a picture of one person on either side of the fence, and there's a problem being the fence, a lot of times we start yelling at each other because I'm hurt or I'm this or they said this or they, I deserve this and I deserve that. And when we forget that we don't deserve anything but hell apart from Jesus, we can be very choosy as to what we deserve from other people. But when we remember that in Christ Jesus, I am commanded to forgive as I have been forgiven, if I would like to continue to be forgiven by the Father, I have no right standing to judge. Therefore, I don't have to defend myself. Christ did on the cross so I can get over the offense next to the person, and I can then address the issue. But when you find yourself in need to defend yourself, let that be a little warning light to stop. You might need to distance yourself, take a breath, spend a moment in prayer, and ask, okay, what's really the issue? If I could remove my emotions or my hurt, Lord, I'm going to leave that with you. What actually needs to be addressed here? It says, live at harmony. Don't be prideful or conceited. See, as a person of peace who belongs to the kingdom of peace, what would it look like for you and I to consistently avoid pride and humbly live in harmony with other people? And that takes consistently reminding ourselves that I am found in Christ, that what he says about me is who I am. And some of you are like, oh, that sounds good, Daniel, but then you're just a doormat. But then he continues, which is really great. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but rather be careful to do what is right in the eyes of all people. Because I think oftentimes we only see two options when it comes to evil done against us. Either fire back or lay down and take it. I'm going to fire back at them and they said this or they cut me off or, or they knew this about this. So I'm going to get them back. I was wrong, so I need, to be, I need to wrong them so they know that they were wrong. Wronger than I am wrong, but I'm wrong but because they were wrong first and so they're the wrongest. Right? Or... Oh, he's got to take it. I'll sweep it under the rug, and it's just fine. I'm not going to deal with it. I love that the Bible doesn't call us to avoid conflict. It shows us how to deal with it. And Proverbs 19.11 has this beautiful verse that shows us what this could be like. Offers us another solution. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory, and that word glory means like a medal awarded for bravery. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And again, if we are concerned with leveling the score rather than trusting that he keeps track, we will need to let people know they were wrong. But it says it's actually to your benefit. It's to your glory. It is a sign of wisdom and maturity to choose to overlook an offense. And I love this word overlook. It means to pass over. To, as if there was an offense, you were walking on the road and there's something there, and rather than like, ah, being stuck or deal with it, it says it's a glory to pass over it. Not to say that it's right, not to completely ignore it, but to choose willingly to pass over it. 
We see this picture that we see the children of Israel as the angel of death comes and uh, pass over. This was a situation where the angel came and those who were deserving of death, deserving because of their sin, the angel, because of the blood of Jesus, passed over that house. It is on the Passover where Jesus is resurrected. It's during this feast. It's during this celebration that we look at Jesus who died on the cross, who died does not give you and does not give me what I deserve, but out of his character, willingly chooses to pass over the offense of sin. But just like Jesus forgives me of my sin, he also then deals with it. But oftentimes, we can't pass over the offense. Therefore, we're not in the right mindset or the right heart to then circle back and deal with maybe the wrong that was done. It's a conscious decision to let it go and forgive, even if they don't acknowledge it, even if they don't agree with you. Instead of focusing on the fence, dwelling on it, replaying it, trying to repay it, magnifying it, we can, by the grace of Jesus, choose to just pass over it, to take a step. I can choose to be in turmoil focus on it, and I can give the keys of my peace to this person who wronged me. And until they ask for forgiveness, I am locked up in turmoil, in strife, and in angst. Or I can say, Lord, you see all things. My heart's my responsibility. I forgive them. I'm going to pass over this. And if I get an opportunity to address it, sure. But I'm going to pass. I'm just going to leave that in your hands, God. And I can continue to be a person inside of peace that Jesus has for us. So our question, as a person of peace that belongs to the kingdom of peace, what would it look like for you and me to consciously pass over when people do evil to you? And rather than repay evil for good, say, what good can I do for that person? Again, that will do more to your heart than it will to them. And for those of you that are sitting here going, oh, that sounds cute, Daniel, but you don't understand, I don't. But Jesus does. I didn't write this. My flesh doesn't like this. But it's what we're called to because we truly do desire peace. And you can choose control or you can choose peace, but rarely can you choose both. We're going to obey Jesus and remain people of peace in his kingdom of peace. Or do we take control? And then it ends, Katie, if you want to jump up on the keys. It says, if possible, this gives me a little bit of hope, <laughs> right? If possible. And if I'm honest, I tend to be like, well, it's not possible. <laughs> it continues. <laughs> if possible. So far as it depends on you. One of the things, stories that I love that Pastor Craig tells about raising his daughters that simultaneously makes me laugh and feel so much empathy for them, his three daughters, he tells stories about they'd be in fights. Never Elena's fault, clearly. So Elena comes and Pastor Craig's dealing with Elena, says, hey, you need to do this. But Annika did this. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't see Annika here. 
we're dealing with you. No, 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 but, but they, they did. Well, great, but let's talk about what, what you did. I remember hearing this story, being like, oh, maybe that's unique to their family. And then I lived another day and watched myself do it. And then I had kids. And so we'll do the same thing. Walk up or sitting there, why it's playing, all of a sudden she takes her little pop gun from Cabela's and knocks him over the head. I'm like, what was that about? We, he was over there. You, you got up and intentionally went over there to knock. And she was oh. He took the toy and we immediately start defending ourselves. I was wronged. They said this. But I deserve this. They're wrong. I struggle with that. It's okay when I'm wrong. I'm pretty, I, I tend to be pretty like, oh yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm quick to admit I'm wrong and an idiot. But man, when I think I'm right, which is most of the time, <laughs> joke about my wife. I said, I've never had an opinion I don't think is right, because if it's wrong, I change it, then I'm right. Like, why would you hold a wrong opinion? I don't get it. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> but even if they're wrong, what's your responsibility? They wronged you, so are you going to talk to your coworkers about how they did? Mom, you just don't get it. Jason's such an idiot. He does this, 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 this. Am I going to go talk to my mom about my brother? I can say that because he's rarely an idiot. I'm, again, I'm normally that one. That coworker, that family member, that situation, conflict. It's everywhere, folks. You're not going to avoid it. But I'm really grateful the King of Peace gave us a little bit of instruction how to be people of peace. And if we're going to be part of his kingdom, we ought to be people that usher in peace wherever we go. We don't throw gas on the fire. We're there to put it out. And if possible, as much as depends on, on you, that person may not stop gossiping about you. But again, when my security is in Christ, they can't touch it. So it's okay. It takes a lot of trust. Super simple, right? Incredibly difficult. Please don't confuse simple with easy. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Why? Because I think our souls were meant to run on peace. And man, are we surrounded by a world that needs to see the body of Christ be people of peace, that carry a presence of peace. Your neighbors need to see not perfection, but people that are doing everything they can, are quick to apologize and repent when they blow it, but they're committed to being people of peace. To bless those who curse you. That understand we're part of a body that rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That walk humbly and live at harmony. They're not proud. They're not conceited. They're not trying to get what they deserve. 
They live humbly. And when they are wronged, they bless instead. They do good. Not just do good in their own heart, but it's just do good in the eyes of other people. They operate in a way. They're not just people of peace, but people around them can see that they're part of the kingdom of peace based on how they respond. And in doing so, you represent our king, who is peace. And you show another option for a kingdom that is peace. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today, you got invited by a friend. You've been hearing about peace and it sounds nice. But the reality is, you may not be at peace with God. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you have yet to actually surrender, to say, God, I, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm deserving of all of these things. And the beauty of Jesus, because he is secure, you don't need to be good enough, friends. Jesus was for you. And we can receive this forgiveness, this peace in our soul between us and God that you can be in right standing with the Father. No longer enmity or strife, but you can be close. Emmanuel. No longer God up there or God around us, but God with us. And Jesus offers us the opportunity to have God in us through the Holy Spirit. If you're new to church, simply means this. Pastor Craig says this all the time, ABC. Acknowledging that you need him, that you are not enough, that you are a sinner, as the Bible calls it. Believe in your heart that Jesus was who he said he was. And that because of that, there is a possibility for new life, free from your sin and the penalty of your sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit because he rose from the grave. And then there is the confess with your mouth. It's part of a prayer, not just one-time prayer, but a confessing with the way you live. It is a decision to say, God, I was going this way without you, but I know that you're true, so I'm going to turn, and would you lead me in the way that you've called me to? Acknowledge, believe, and in your confession, repent and turn. So that's you today. You say, Daniel, I, I don't follow Jesus, but I know I need peace. And I need Jesus to find that peace. Just pop your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. No one looking around, eyes closed. We always just want to give a moment. Say, I need the peace of Jesus. I need to receive Jesus into my heart. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. You can put that hand down. We'll pray together. If we could all pray together as one body, we talked about this. But for that one person, so they're not single, can I ask for that hand that did go up? Whoever brought you today, just have a conversation. Say, hey, I, I was that person. I put my hand up. I, I need to learn what it means to walk with Jesus. I need him in my life. Man, I'm telling you, they're going to be so excited to walk with you, explain that. Maybe you came in alone today, find myself or someone at the Connect Center out in the lobby. We would love to talk with you. But why don't we just pray together? Say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for my sin I repent would you come 
and forgive me of my sin. I need you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me what it means to live as a child of God? In your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.